Why did Paul write the book of Galatians? Are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses fellow Christians? Or do they believe a false gospel? And we know that salvation is not earned by our good works, but do we have to do good works to keep our salvation? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor, and I usually begin these lessons by saying that I'm a pastor, but I'm not sure if I can say that anymore. Now, I'm still an ordained minister, but I'm not currently serving at a church. And I just finished a nine-year stint as a youth pastor, and I was privileged to lead a youth group for nearly a decade at my church until I really could just tell God in in various ways that I could tell that he was telling me it was time to step away. And I learned a lot of lessons from nine years. You know, there were some things I did right and other things I did wrong. And I I tried to learn and course correct as I went along. Um, For one thing, I used to be very anti-games whenever it came to youth groups. I just felt like the youth pastor before me had played a lot of games and they were kind of silly and they made big messes and they wasted a whole bunch of time. So as I came into it, my attitude on it was, I only have these kids for one hour each week. I'm not going to waste any of that hour wrapping up kids in toilet paper, forcing them to drink soup from a stinky sock. So I just totally cut out any games in the services for years. Well, then towards the end, uh, in my last few years as a youth pastor, I finally started introducing some games And I still didn't do the stupid games that made a bunch of messes, but I found some tamer games. And, you know, as the kids played them, I I honestly feel like they really did liven up the place. It got some energy out of the kids. It actually made them pay attention to the messages better afterwards. And and so then I wish that I had started doing games years before. Not that all games are always a great idea, but I learned that not all games are a bad idea either. So that was an area where I think I was wrong or, or maybe too extreme about playing games during the service. Now, something I was really glad that I did early on in youth ministry was what I did for my first sermon series with the youth. Whenever I took over as youth pastor, we spent the first few months in the book of Galatians. Now, at the time, this was one of the few books of the Bible that I knew really, really well. So I just felt most comfortable launching into that one. And that book, it really ended up setting the tone for the first several years of my ministry to these kids. In some way, it set the tone for all nine years. This book has been foundational to my personal ministry and to the DNA of that church youth group where I was honored to serve for the past nine years. And why is that? Well, because Galatians teaches us that salvation is by faith alone, not of works. And you've probably heard that a hundred times before, if not more, if you grew up in church. But what Galatians does is it takes this idea and it picks it apart half a dozen different ways in half a dozen chapters. And this book really wants to clarify that we really mean it whenever we say that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, not of any human effort or achievement. And so I want to give you an overview of Galatians today and how it uses this theme across the whole book. It doesn't take that long to read Galatians. If you were to just sit down and read through it, you can probably do it in less than 20 minutes. 
But if you just read it and then someone just asked you what it was about, you'd probably say it was about a lot of different things. You'd say, Paul started off angry and then he talked about his personal history and then he talked about a fight he had with Peter and then he got angry again and then he talked about Abraham and Sarah and then he talked about the fruit of the spirit and then he gave some random commands before signing off with a list of names. And, you know, just about any New Testament letter kind of looks like that, like a string of random subjects followed by the lengthy farewell with all the names. But with the New Testament letters, they take on a whole new life whenever we analyze why they were written in the first place. There's always a main idea that unifies the message of the book. And they aren't random. The, the, the topics that he brings up are not random. They're all in service of this main idea that Paul is trying to communicate. And so the main idea of Galatians is that the gospel of Jesus is not earned or maintained by any human achievement. I'm going to say that again. The gospel of Jesus is not earned or maintained by any human achievement. And so that's why in one of the first verses of the book, Galatians 1.9, it says, As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This verse is foundational to the book. You know, as I said, Galatians, it was foundational to my ministry. And, and I probably found myself going back and quoting this verse at least once a month for the first several years that I was youth pastor. Now, why was I so obsessed with this idea? Because the gospel, it's God's idea to get man saved. And so obviously the devil is going to do everything he can to mess that up to obscure the gospel, to tweak it, to add to it. So I felt like I was constantly going back and reinforcing the gospel because I really wanted for these kids to get it. The gospel of Jesus is not earned or maintained by any human achievement. And this is the main idea that carries through the whole book. Let's back up a few verses and let's let's look at how Paul frames the opening lines of this book. Most of Paul's letters in the New Testament, they have a customary, you know, you might say generic type of opening, Galatians is the only letter that opens with this really angry and negative tone. Okay, so after the customary opening, it begins, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So before I remark on the content of the book, I just want to explain a contrast in the tone of Paul's other letters. You know, his other letters that he wrote, is they're much friendlier. Philippians 1 kicks off with, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians begins, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. <laughs> so, you know, they, they start off a lot warmer. Galatians, it starts off, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Uh, 1 Corinthians, you know, that was a, a letter written to a church that had a lot of problems. It even begins with these words. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You know, even that book, which is written to address problems, it starts off really cheery. But Galatians doesn't start that way. Galatians doesn't have that cheery tone. Paul says, I am astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So from right there, we see a much different attitude as Paul penned this letter than he did when he penned the other letters. He was angry here. He was outraged. He was confused. He, he was astonished. He said that the Galatian Christians were turning to a different gospel. And he says a different gospel 
is no gospel at all. He says a different gospel. Um, this is what he says about it. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So what Paul is dealing with is not as some new deity on the block that Christians are wanting to worship. They're keeping the same Jesus and the same God, but they're making some changes to the manner that salvation takes place. Now remember, salvation is a free gift of God. That's what it's supposed to be. You can do nothing to earn it. Ephesians puts it this way in chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, salvation is accomplished 100% by God, or Jesus, but it's not even 1% you. 0% of all the good you've done could get you into heaven. If you contributed anything to your own salvation, you could boast in it. But this is a gift of God, so that no one may boast. One of my favorite King James verses, it's, it's Romans eleven six. So here it is in King James. It says, And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. <laughs> so the first time you hear that, that, that verse can throw you for a loop. Um, that's one of the reasons I love using it. <laughs> but let me explain what Paul is saying there. Paul is saying that you can't say salvation is partially God's achievement and partially your own achievement. It can only be by God's grace or by works. If you want to say it's grace plus works, then either the word grace doesn't mean anything anymore, or the word works doesn't mean anything anymore. It has to be one or the other. It can't be both. So this is the idea that Galatians plays with all throughout. Paul is writing this letter to correct the Galatian Christians because there had been some malevolent teachers, they're called the Judaizers, they're trying to say that if you want to be saved, or even if you just want God to like you, you have to believe in Jesus and do some other things. Now, it's trendy to put the word plus on all kinds of things nowadays so they can charge you more money for something that you already thought you had. <laughs> there's Disney Plus, there's Hulu Plus, there's Apple Plus, there's Daily Wire Plus, you know. But, but I want you to know I have all those places beat because years ago, I coined the term Jesus Plus. And this was a term I would use to describe false teachers like the ones in Galatians. They taught a false doctrine. In fact, it was a false gospel. And I call it Jesus Plus. And in Jesus Plus, it says that in order for God to accept you, you must believe in Jesus plus do something else. As we read, when you say salvation is by Jesus plus something else, you're no longer saying it's by grace through faith, not of works. Because now you've added in a work. It's Jesus plus something else. Here's a key point to remember. Anytime you try to add to the gospel, you're actually subtracting from it. You're saying that Jesus wasn't good enough. That's one reason why this is so blasphemous and, and abhorrent to God. You know, you might say, well, why doesn't God just accept people anyway, you know, when they do that? Doesn't God appreciate that they believe in Jesus and they're trying to do this other good thing? Well, no, God doesn't appreciate it because you're telling God that Jesus wasn't good enough. You're saying that Jesus was tortured for hours for your sins, that he had a crown of thorns placed on his head, that he had a spear jabbed in his side, that he hung on a cross until he died at his as his blood poured out. And you're saying, oh, that's great. But also, you're saved because you got baptized or volunteered at a homeless shelter or quit smoking or quit cussing or stayed a virgin until you were married. You know, those are all good things to do. But that's offensive to God. 
to say that all that excruciating pain that Jesus went through wasn't enough. That it took just a little bit more effort from you to secure your salvation. Whenever you say that, you're in another gospel. Galatians 1 continues, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says that the gospel is that you can do no works to contribute to your own salvation. If anyone says otherwise, let them be accursed. If anyone says that, they have a gospel contrary to the one that Paul preaches. I remember asking a Jehovah's Witness years ago how they believed that they got to heaven. He assured me that Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that they can be saved by their works. And yet, whenever I asked him how to go to heaven, he said that you had to believe in Jesus and you also had to do like three other things. And this was a long time ago. I don't remember what the, what the other three things were. Like one of them might have been going to church every Saturday. That's when they have church. I'm not sure. I don't remember what they were. I do remember one of them. He said one of the three things you have to do is go door to door to get people saved. And he believed that by doing this, this was one of the essential things to get you into heaven. And I told him, well, listen, then that's not believing in Jesus alone because you're also believing in your good works. And he says, no, 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 no. It's still 100% Jesus because if Jesus didn't die for my sins, then going door to door wouldn't even matter. And I said, yeah, but you're not trusting in Jesus alone. You say yourself that you have to go door to door in order to be saved. And I just went round and round with him, but I could not get him to understand or, or admit that he believed in Jesus plus, that he believed it was the sacrifice of Jesus plus these three other things that he did. But listen, it's a contrary gospel. It's not the true gospel. Jehovah's Witnesses are not saved. They also have the wrong Jesus. They think Jesus was an angel. But I mean, that's another lesson for another day. The Mormons are not saved. They trust in their good works too. The Mormons believe that, that Joseph Smith, he was the founder of that, of that cult, that he was visited by an angel in the 1800s, and that this angel revealed to Joseph Smith the true gospel. Uh, in the second book of Mormon, it actually says this. It says, in September 1823, and at later times, Joseph Smith received visitations from Moroni, an angel of light, who revealed the resting place of the ancient record from which the Book of Mormon was afterward translated. So Joseph Smith claims that he was visited by an angel of light. Does the phrase angel of light sound familiar? Well, it's actually the same phrase in 2 Corinthians 11:14 where it says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So as far as I'm concerned, Joseph Smith was actually visited by Satan. And I believe that Paul was even prophesying about this when he actually makes the claim in Galatians, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul says, if even an angel of heaven were to say that to you, it's not an angel from heaven, because there is no other gospel than the one Paul preaches. Again, the main idea of Galatians, it's that the gospel of Jesus is not earned or maintained by any human achievement. Here's a real quick way to determine whether someone's a real Christian. Ask them how they know that they're going to heaven. Because about 99% of people, according to surveys that have been done on this, 99% of people believe that they will go to heaven if there is one. They believe that's where they're heading. 
And when you ask them how they know that, the non-Christians are going to tell you, it's because I try to be a good person. The great deception of modern times is that the good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there are no good people, that we're all bad people. It's those who are redeemed by Jesus who go to heaven. So if you ask someone whether they're going to heaven, and they say, well, I'm trying, then that means they aren't going. You know, it sounds humble to say that, to say, well, I'm trying. It sounds humble. But the Bible says that's the opposite of humble. It's prideful. It's saying it's something that you can do for yourself if you try hard enough. And that's pride. The mayor of New York, uh, this was several years ago, but it, it was Michael Bloomberg. And you might recognize that name. He ran for president in 2020. Um, and he got pretty far. He did lose in the primaries. But, but back in 2014, he was like mayor or governor of New York. And he, this is what he said. He said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. That was a direct quote from Michael Bloomberg. And that is pride, ladies and gentlemen. When he says that he's not stopping to be interviewed, meaning I'm pretty sure what he's meaning is he's not waiting around to see if like God or an angel is going to judge him or, or look up his name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He says, nope, I am strutting right in. According to Michael Bloomberg, that's what he's going to do. And that's the epitome of pride to think that you have your spot in heaven earned. You can't earn it. You can't even come close. Heaven is a free gift of God. So, as I mentioned before, the Galatian church was grappling with these people called the Judaizers. And they were trying to add in works of the Old Testament law to the gospel of Jesus. They said that you had to believe in Jesus plus get circumcised. Now that's an interesting requirement because um, getting circumcised, it's not even actually a good work anymore. It was a command in the Old Testament, but it's not given as a command in the New Testament. Now you might say it's a good idea in modern times, like for medical reasons. You know, I'm not even going to get into that subject today. You, you could say it's a good idea, but we have to be clear the issue regarding circumcision is purely a medical one. It's not a moral decision. And so Paul makes this clear in Galatians 5.6, where he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Circumcision isn't a good work. It's not a bad work. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the New Testament theology as far as our personal morals are concerned. You know, and, and, and listen, you want to leave it that way because Paul also makes the point, you can't just pick circumcision as the one thing that you have to bring over from the Old Testament law. He says, if you want to make circumcision a command again, if you want to say you have to be circumcised to be accepted by God, well, then you're obligated to follow the whole Old Testament law. You can't just pick and choose what parts you want to believe. Paul brings this up in uh, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. By the way, there's a debate in Christianity over whether you can lose your salvation. It's often phrased as, can you fall from grace? Well, this verse makes it pretty clear that you can. Paul said, 
you have fallen away from grace. That means you were once in grace. It said if you add works to salvation, you're severed from Christ. You can't be severed from something unless you were once connected to it. If you were never connected to Christ in the first place, you can't be severed from him. If you aren't in grace, you can't fall from it. So yes, you can lose your salvation. But how? Is it by doing something bad enough to lose it? No. And I'm going to explain why. You lose it by changing the gospel. You are saved as long as you believe in the gospel. Because your salvation doesn't depend on your moral performance. But once you begin believing another gospel, you lose your salvation. Salvation is given based on belief. And it can be lost based on belief. Our works do not contribute to our salvation, and they do not maintain our salvation. And this takes us back to chapter 3 of Galatians. Because there's another element of works and salvation that I, I don't think this gets discussed enough. Okay, so we've made it clear with the testimony of very, various books of the Bible that salvation is a free gift of God that you can't earn it by, by any good actions. But do we maintain our salvation by good actions? We know we can't earn our salvation by good works, but do we have to do good works to keep our salvation? For example, like let's take a common issue. Okay, something that's a maybe one of the bigger sins, like sex before marriage. Okay, that's a common sin. So a lot of people today, they don't think it's such a big deal anymore because it's, you know, it's still a big deal, even if lots of people do it. I know people don't think it is anymore, but it, it still is. It's sexual immorality, according to the Bible, all throughout the Bible, that it says you're supposed to wait till you're married to only have sex with someone that you're married to. So it's, you know, it's kind of a big deal if you break that commandment. But here's an important question to consider. Is a Christian who starts having sex with someone that they aren't married to, are they going to lose their salvation? You know, if you're an eternal security believer, you might look at someone in that situation and you, you might conclude, well, they were just never saved to begin with. Or if you're of a more Arminian mindset, you might say, well, well, well then they've lost their salvation. Haven't you read 1 Corinthians 6 or Revelation 21? No sexually immoral person will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So there's two schools of thought on what to do with a Christian who's in that kind of situation. You know, we all agree it's sin. I hope anyway. But the question is, do they lose their salvation? Well, before I answer that, let me just say, we, human beings, we don't get the right to determine who is saved and who isn't, and when they lose their salvation, or when they're just being a naughty Christian. That's not our job to declare those things. That's God's job. Their salvation is between them in God. And Matthew 13 makes this clear. Um, that's the parable of the wheat and the tares. That it says, you know, we aren't supposed to declare who's saved and who's not. That's not our job. Jesus said if he left it up to Christians to make those declarations, that, that Christians would be making some big mistakes because they would they'd be condemning some actual Christians who are just misbehaving but are still saved. You know, they'd condemn some of the wheat along with the tares. So anyway, we shouldn't assume that we can just judge other people's salvation. Now, if there is a Christian who is living in unrepentant sin, we do have some steps. If they say that they're a Christian, we have some steps we're supposed to take. And that's where 1 Corinthians 5 does come in. And I did a few episodes about that um, early on in the podcast. If you want to go back and listen, I think it's episodes 6 and 7. So that's where church discipline comes in. 
But anyway, that's church discipline was its own topic. That's not what I'm asking about. We're asking about salvation, okay? So let me turn that question around on you. Since, like I said, we can't judge someone else's salvation. So let me ask you about your salvation. Do you believe that you're saved because you believe that Jesus died for your sins plus because you don't have sex with anyone that you aren't married to? Do you believe that you're saved because of Jesus plus because you don't drink? Because of Jesus plus because you don't cuss? Do you look at other people and think, well, those Christians who drink, they aren't saved. Well, those Christians who cuss, they aren't saved. Well, those Christians who do this and, and that, they aren't saved. But I know I'm saved because I don't do any of those things. Well, there's a lot of Christians who think that they started their Christian walk by faith, but now they're keeping it by being a good person, by good works. And listen, hear me clearly. That is foolishness. I mean, that's basically a false gospel. When you believe that, you are basically believing in salvation by works. Just like we spent the whole first part of this lesson discussing. Your salvation began by faith, and it continues by faith every single day until the day you die. Just like there's no action you can do or not do to earn your salvation, there's also no action that you can do or refrain from doing to keep it. Salvation is by faith from beginning to end. And Paul addresses this major question in Galatians 3. He writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He says, listen, if you think, well, I'm saved because I believe in Jesus and I quit cussing and drinking and, and now I know I'm saved because I never went back to those things. Paul is here saying, are you, are you so foolish? Our justification was a gift of God and our sanctification is a gift of God. We begin this Christian walk by faith and we end it by faith. We don't maintain or hold on to our salvation by works. So how do you know that you got saved when you got saved? Well, it's because it was the moment in time that you believed in Jesus and trusted in his finished work for your salvation. And how do you know that you're saved today? Well, it's not because of any of the things you've done since you first got saved. The way you know you're saved today is because you believe in Jesus and trust in his finished work for your salvation. And many people puzzle over what Paul meant in Romans 1, where Paul says, from faith to faith. And let me read you these verses again from Romans 1. Uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I want to go King James on you again. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. A lot of commentators are confused at why Paul says from faith to faith. They're like, we aren't even sure what this means. Um, but I'm pretty sure I know what it means. I don't mean to sound arrogant, but there's like a lot of things I don't know, but I'm pretty sure what this means. It means that our salvation began with faith, and it is always by faith every day after that. It doesn't become about works. Faith is not just a starting place. This whole thing is by faith in Christ. So if you say, but wait, what about those people living in sin? 
Like some of them still say that they're saved, but they haven't gone to church in years. Well, this is what I'd say. It all comes down to what they believe. Not their actions, but their actions do show what they believe. Okay, listen, all Christians mess up. All Christians make mistakes. And if someone's been living in sin for a long time and they never seem to care about it and want to do anything to fix it, you know, I would question whether they really believe in God and the gospel because their actions sure don't look like it. But ultimately, that's going to be between them and God. And the question for me is, am I believing the gospel? Am I believing I'm saved because of Jesus? Or am I believing that I'm saved because I don't do what they do? You know, listen, our, our good works are still important. Okay, don't hear anything I'm saying today and think that I'm implying that good works don't matter. There is still a judgment seat of Christ to consider. I'm saying that good works, they don't do anything toward our salvation. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And this is what Paul gets into in Galatians 4, that God looks at us and sees his son, that my sinful record was placed on Jesus at the cross, and the perfect righteousness of Christ was placed on me. So God looks at us and sees Jesus. My own righteousness can't add anything to that because Jesus is already perfect. In fact, if I try to mix in my own righteousness with that perfection, I just ruin the perfection. So when it comes to doing good works, they are a sign of whether someone is saved. A person with the Spirit inside them should be producing good fruit. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is discussed in Galatians 5. But fruit grows from a plant or a root system that's already there. Fruit doesn't save us, but it does show what we have on the inside. So good works, they are a sign of salvation, but they are not the reason for our salvation. Good works should be the effect of salvation, but they aren't the cause of salvation. There's a major distinction in those two types of thoughts. And that's why Paul had to write Galatians. We'll close down in a few minutes. If you have a question on this chapter, leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. I guess I should say if you have a question on this book, because we kind of covered the whole book of Galatians today. And so if you have any comments on any of that, um, I wouldn't be surprised if something I said today generates some questions. So crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. It's also in the show notes. And I'd just be happy to take any questions or or, um, challenges to what I said today send that along and we'll we'll address it on a future episode um, send us recommendations on subjects that you want to hear about in the future you know be happy to get any of that feedback so next time on this podcast we'll get back into the book of ezekiel by finishing chapter 12 and starting into chapter 13 and we're going to discuss true and false prophets in fact i usually try to alternate lessons on this podcast between ezekiel and something else but i think i'm actually going to attempt to do two Ezekiel lessons in a row for the next couple weeks. And I have a reason for that. That'll be more clear later. Um, so stay tuned for that three episodes from now, which I think is going to be episode 45. Uh, I would like to do a study on the history of Pharisees. We see Pharisees all throughout the New Testament, but they aren't anywhere in the Old Testament. So where did Pharisees come from? Well, we'll go into that in episode 45. And Pharisees are kind of relevant to this book, uh, the book of Galatians, because they kept trying to add rules. They kept trying to add commandments. 
And this is why Jesus got frustrated with them sometimes, because they were trying to make it appear harder to follow God than it actually had to be. Jesus doesn't like it when you add rules. And it's so easy, it's so human to add rules. And that's why we need Galatians, because it protects us from trying to add rules. We shouldn't add rules to salvation. That's messing with the gospel. But we also just shouldn't add rules, period. We shouldn't be tacking extra rules onto the Bible. And we have to be careful about that because, you know, the Bible has a lot of rules already. (laughs) Being a Bible follower or a moral person, that can be hard enough already. We don't need to be putting any extra hoops for people to jump through. Uh, Like this morning, I was trying to watch my three-year-old son and also read my Bible. And I could not get through one paragraph of my Bible without him interrupting me. And I was starting to get really frustrated, you know, just to be honest. And he wasn't doing anything wrong. He's just being a normal three-year-old. Um, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, you know, in case you're ever attempt- in case you're ever tempted to try, you can't have a Bible reading time and watch a three-year-old at the same time. So I'm starting to get angry. Okay, I'm not snapping at him, but I'm just getting really annoyed because every time I read like two verses out of my Bible— Suddenly, he's in my face again, asking another question, demanding another snack or a drink. And, and I'm just way too distracted to even glean anything from my Bible. And as I'm getting more and more annoyed, I suddenly just ask myself, why am I getting so cranky about this? Why do I feel like I need to read my Bible right now? I guess it was because it was morning, and for some reason, I think I'm supposed to read my Bible first thing in the morning. I don't know, maybe I heard a pastor say in a sermon one time, that this is what they do every morning, so I feel like it's what I should do. Maybe I remember telling someone that when you start your day with Jesus, the rest of it just goes better. Maybe I've done it as part of my morning routine for so long, now I start to feel unnecessarily guilty if I don't do it. And honestly, it's usually a pretty good routine. But I have to keep in mind that reading your Bible first thing each day, it's not a literal command of God. It's a burden that I've placed on myself. It's not one that God has placed on me. So why am I getting mad? Is it because it's generating this false guilt that's not rooted in anything but my own feelings? Do I believe that God's going to be mad at me if I don't read my Bible right after I get up? Have I forgotten that God actually kind of likes me? He's not getting upset with me because I read my Bible later in the day, or even if I entirely miss it here and there? I think right now, as I'm watching my three-year-old, I'm just supposed to be a dad. And I'm pretty sure God is fine with that. I don't think God's expecting me to get anything out of my Bible while there's this squirming toddler next to me on the couch. I think God's good with it if I just try to be a dad right now. So I share all that just to point out how easy it can be to add rules, to place a greater burden on ourselves than is necessary, to make rules for ourselves that are good rules. But then over time, we come to believe that Maybe we're more justified in God's sight because we kept all these extra commands that we thought up, or that God is happy with us because we're so good at following the rules, rather than God being happy with us because we have the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. Galatians shows us that God loves all Christians as his children. It talks about this in chapter 4. And he doesn't love you more because you checked a certain number of boxes, or prayed a certain amount of minutes, or met some standard that you invented. God's not grumpy and hard to please. God's love for us stays the same. It's our love for him that's supposed to grow. I think we forget that God is nice, that God doesn't just love us, but that he also likes us. And one of the reasons that Galatians is one of my favorite books in the Bible is that it's the book that taught me this. So one more time, 
Let me share this key idea of Galatians. The gospel of Jesus is not earned or maintained by any human achievement. Gospel means good news. So when we say the gospel of Jesus, we mean the good news of Jesus. The gospel is good news. If it was about something that we had to do, it wouldn't be good news. But since it's about something that Jesus has already done, it's pretty good news to me. You know, the church in every age has its own struggles, its own problems that it had to overcome. The church of the early years after Jesus, it had to deal with the Gnostic heresies. The church of the Reformation period had to deal with separation and conflict with the Catholic Church. The church of today has progressive ideology to wrestle with. But the church of all time has had to fight back against attempts to subvert the gospel by including or adding works to it. So for this reason, I am highly uncomfortable with Christians and churches that try to slip in things like even something good like baptism as a requirement for salvation. There are some churches that teach that you are not saved until you get baptized, and I'm highly uncomfortable with that. And they deny that that they teach any good works as a requirement of salvation, and they try to say that baptism isn't a work. But it doesn't matter how you try to play with language, because the Bible goes out of its way to make clear that salvation is all by what Christ did, and nothing that you do. Look no further than the thief on the cross. Obviously, the thief on the cross, uh, he had no way to get baptized. And yet, what did Jesus tell him? That today I'll be with you in paradise. So that thief on the cross went to heaven. We can meet that thief someday. He didn't get baptized. There was no way for him to get baptized up there on that cross. He got in by faith alone, because faith alone is all it took. Uh, Actually, Pastor Alistair Begg, he has a great sermon about the thief and proving that there's nothing that we can do that can get us into heaven. It's not by having the right doctrine, not doing a good work, not even baptism itself. Listen to this. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, 
excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get their supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. The man on the middle cross told me I could come. That's all it took for the thief on the cross. And that's all it takes for you and me. It was nothing we did. We didn't earn it. We can't keep it. The man on the middle cross told us we could come. As I said, I just finished being a youth pastor, and the book of Galatians was foundational to my time as a youth pastor. It was kind of the foundation of my ministry. And one of the teens that was in my youth group for years, he said something to me that was just so gratifying to hear on my last night as a youth pastor. And it was a special night for me. Uh, I usually drove a few kids to church each week, well, that night, I drove all the kids home. <laughs> we, we went out for ice cream after church, and then I dropped off each kid at their house one by one. I got home like it was after 11. It ended up being a late night for me. And on that last kid that I dropped off, uh, he wanted to tell me what I had meant to him. And, and he told me he was already a little bit skeptical of who the next youth pastor would be. Now, let me tell you about this kid. He didn't grow up in church other than coming to our youth group. And he didn't have a Christian family at home. And, you know, I was never sure how much of the things that I said were really sinking in with this kid. But, but on that last night, he told me that he was going to be watching the next youth pastor very closely. Because this is what he told me. He said, you know how you've talked about how there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation and that it's a free gift of God? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he said, and remember how you say that false teachers are always trying to distort the gospel and add works to salvation and to be careful because false teachers can show up anywhere? And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely right. And he said, well, I'm just afraid the next youth pastor could be one of those false teachers. So I'm going to be listening very close to what he says. And <laughs> whenever this kid told me that, you know, I laughed because I'm totally not afraid that my old church would hire someone who believes in a false gospel to be the next youth pastor there. You know, they have a lot of checks and balances in our denomination to, to weed that kind of thing out. So I kind of laughed whenever the kid told me this. But on the other hand, I was so gratified to hear that some of the stuff I had warned the kids about, that it had sunk in. I was glad that even after I was gone, that there were going to be kids who knew how to recognize a true gospel from a false one. I was glad they'd be on their toes, on the lookout, that they knew that there are false prophets and false teachers to be aware of, that there are people who slip into churches and try to bring a false gospel, which is really no gospel at all. That's why Paul wrote Galatians and why we still need it today. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that when you try to add to the gospel of Jesus, you actually subtract from it.